are listening to the Batflip Podcast, a baseball podcast from Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Damian and Matt. Welcome back, everyone, to the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damien here with my co-host, Matt, coming to you on April 12th of 2022. Uh, we got a ton of news of extensions, a quick trade before opening day, and then our overall thoughts on uh, some of the opening day or the opening day weekend and uh, some of the performances that we want to talk about for players doing good and players struggling um, so far and just what we've thought about the uh the overall start of the 2022 season. But before we get to all of that, how are you doing, Matt? Doing great. Baseball's back. So how could it not be? But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's been a, it's been a fun week, uh, baseball coming back opening day. Um, you know, the, the weekend out, you know, as a Braves fan, the festivities of the, uh, you know, the ring ceremony and the you know championship celebration from last year, it's been really cool to watch. Um, and also I went to the beach this weekend, so I can't complain about that either. So, uh, it's been a pretty fun weekend and, uh, I'm, uh, excited, you know, baseball's back. I've got the Braves game on in the background here. If I seem distracted at some point, I know you've had the Dodgers game on, so you might get distracted at some point, but, uh, that's what it's all about. So, uh, they're definitely, uh, definitely having a good week so far. Yeah, I'm going to hereby, since I've been watching this uh, three and two-thirds ending of the Dodger game so far, I want to hereby change my Cy Young pick from Sandy Alcantara to Andrew Heaney. Because, um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, baseball's back. It's been really fun to uh, the opening weekend. I don't think it's disappointed in any way. Um, even if your team has been losing the way that the game has been played this weekend, uh, some of these debuts we'll talk about later on. Um, it's just been it's been refreshing. Um, you know, with everything that, you know, could have lost a season, could have lost games, um, and the whole lockout being for 99 days, um, you know, it's, it's really refreshing to have baseball, baseball back, but, uh, let's go ahead and jump right into the news and we'll talk about kind of the weekend and everything later on, but, uh, we'll go ahead and start with actually a trade that happened on opening day. And that was the Minnesota twins acquiring Chris Paddock and Emilio Pagan, for closer Taylor Rogers and Brent Rooker. Yeah, so um, well, here, here's a here's a deal where both of these teams really needed some help at the big league level. Uh, the Padres have had some injuries in that pitching staff, um, but yet again, they um, you know they've been and and they but the the the, the bullpen's really their issue. And you look at uh, the Twins. I mean, they badly need starting pitching. And so the Twins got a guy who a lot of people still think has some upside, but was really struggling in San Diego, needed a change of scenery. Chris Paddock really hasn't been all that bad. Um, you know, last year he had a five ERA, but his peripheral stats looked pretty good. Uh, 378 FIP, 387 XFIP. These numbers are really solid. Uh, not, you know, top of the rotation numbers like we a lot of people once thought Paddock might end up being that guy. But they're pretty good, and they're definitely some. He's definitely somebody who's going to get his chance starting in, um, you know, in, in Minnesota, and, and really have a long leash there too. Um, look at Emilio Pagan, a guy who um, he, you know, is a hard thrower, reliever. You know, they really needed somebody who could who could pitch. You know, if they're going to trade Rogers and Emilio Pagan struggled last year in San Diego, but. You know, the plate discipline numbers against them were, were still pretty solid. He just really struggled getting the ball on the ground, gave up a lot of home runs. Um, this is a guy who, you know, uh, in 2019 with Tampa Bay, 
you know, put up a 231 ERA and was one of the best relievers in baseball. So, you know, he's not that far removed from that performance, and he really struggled mainly just in uh, San Diego. So, uh, you know, the, the Twins got a couple nice pieces there. You know, I definitely think the jury's out on both of them, but they're two pieces that are things that they need. The Padres really needed somebody who could close in the back end. Uh, and Taylor Rogers is going to be that guy. I mean, he's been in closer for a while. Last year, he was incredible in Minnesota. Um, he had a 213 uh, fielding independent pitching, a 335 ERA. It's not a, not the best for a closer, but the defense in Minnesota last year was not very good, especially when Buxton was not not playing. And um, you know, but his peripheral stats and everything were great. Um, you look at him; he's been really, really, really consistent. In fact, the last four years. He's been under a three FIP, which is really incredible. Makes him one of the better relievers in baseball. His expected ERA number last year was a 253, which that does take into account some defense there. So a uh, little bit of bad luck for him. Uh, and, you know, this is a guy that the Padres desperately needed. And then Brent Rooker is a guy who um, he does have some uh, upside. Um, I remember him very well from when he was in college at Mississippi State. But, um, you know, he's really struggled with the strikeout bug in the minor leagues. He's a guy who's got a lot of power. Um, and he's kind of one of those, you know, guys who maybe you hope it could be a late bloomer. Um, and, you know, the Padres got, get a pretty high upside close to the big league player that they can throw out in the, um, you know, throw out the outfield and see if they can maybe, you know, work on his game a little bit, get him, you know, get him going in AAA. So uh, definitely a trade that I think works great for both sides. Yeah, it really does work well for both sides. It seemed like it was probably time for Taylor Rogers to kind of move away from Minnesota after the you know past two to three years. They've had a lot of rumors uh, about him potentially being traded. Paddock needed a fresh start. Um, it had really soured in San Diego. You could just tell he was unhappy, and his performance um, on the field kind of brought that with it. Uh, and it makes sense for Minnesota. You get a guy who is, you know, barely getting ready to go into arbitration this year. He's a free agent um, in entering the 2025 season. So you have, you know, three plus years of control uh, with him. Uh, Pagan is a guy who is a, a uh, he's also a free agent in 2024. So you get a couple years of control of him. Whereas in Rogers was going to be a free agent, I believe, um, going into 2023, I think after this year. Um, so you basically get two pieces that will be a part of your team for multiple years going forward for a outfielder that you weren't going to play every day. Um, you know, and San Diego is hoping that he's a lottery ticket and a closer who is probably better than the one you received, you got, but you have more control. Um, and a guy who probably was not going to be there after this year anyways. So it, it does work well for both sides. Maybe the twins are able to, you know, harness the what Paddock had struggled with in San Diego, um, get him back to a fastball changeup and, and help that breaking ball a little bit more because I think that's what he's really struggled with. Um, you know, in San Diego, they get a, a lockdown closer down at the back end because they lost Mark Melanson in the offseason, and, you know, maybe they hit gold with, with Rooker. Um, I think they did option him, so he's in the minors right now, but maybe they, you know, figure something out with him because they do need a, an outfielder. But... Let's go ahead and jump over. We had a, a laundry list of extensions happen right before opening day as well. Um, and we'll start with the Guardians who brought us three of those, extending Emmanuel Classe for five years for $20 million, 
Miles Straw, five years for $25 million. And then the big one, which is Jose Ramirez of five years at $124 million. Yeah, let me preface this by saying that I, I, th- I don't think I gave the Guardians enough credit before the season. This team could be sneaky good, uh, some of the pieces that they have. But uh, first off, starting with Classe, um, this guy throws 100-mile-an-hour cutters, and he has control of them to a certain level. So, I mean, you can't say no to that. I mean, last year, a 129 ERA in 69 innings. Nice. Um, you know, 24 saves. He was really, 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 really good last year. Um, you know, just incredible. His peripherals backed it up. Um, and, you know, coming up, you know, with Texas, he was part of the Corey Kluber trade. Um, you know, always showed it off in the minor leagues. Definitely, a, you know, for sure, reliever type guy, but um, reliever only. But, uh, you know, great on them to extend him, get him through those arb years. Uh, they also got a club options for 2027, 2028. So, you know, this is a guy that's going to be there for for an awful long time as the Guardians closer. Uh, you know, moving on, uh, looking at the next guy on our list here, Miles Straw. Uh, he had a fantastic year last year. I didn't, I didn't even realize it. He played 158 games, put up almost four wins above replacement, played a great defense in center field, um, put up a um, put up a put up a league average offensive season too. Um, he does not have power to speak of, but uh, you know he's got speed. And he gets on base. He had a 10% walk rate last year, which is really solid for a guy who doesn't have a lot of power. And, uh, you know, he kept the strikeouts under 20%. Um, you know, that's with Houston and Cleveland. So this is a guy who, you know, Cleveland's really struggled in the outfield for a while. And this is a guy who could man center field out there. He reminds me a little bit of an endurance Arte type guy who was really solid for the Braves for the for three or four years. So this deal could, could end up being pretty good, just $5 million a year for the next through 2026 and he also has club options and then the big one's jose ramirez and there's not too much to say about this guy other than that he's a perennial mvp candidate uh you know spectacular plate discipline numbers he's got great power hit 36 home runs last year put up six wins above replacement last year um you know it's one of these days he's going to end up winning that mvp so uh you know you're getting him on a pretty dang cheap deal um you know that Really, and you got him locked up through 2028. He's 29 years old. You know, he'll only be, you know, he'll be 35 when he, at the end of this deal. So he might be at the, on the downswing at that point. But you know, he still won't be like it's not won't be like you got him. You're paying him 20 million dollars at 40 years old. So I think this is a fantastic. All three of these deals are great for for Cleveland. And then, um, you know, you kind of add these three pieces. This is your core, part of your core. You know, you add Bieber to that. You add some of those young pitchers they have uh, in the starting rotation. Uh, you know, one of those short uh, guys they got from the Mets, both of them have been pretty good. Um, for them, you know, Ahmed Rosario had a pretty good season last year. Um, he hadn't been talked about too much, but, um, you know, you can maybe end up having one of those guys man, you know, shortstop, and you got a pretty good core there. So, um, you know, solid look for the Guardians, and, uh, you know, we'll see what they look like going forward, but these three pieces are going to be a key to it. Yeah, they really will be. Um, you mentioned Jose Ramirez is probably – for a long time was one of the most underrated players in baseball. I think the past couple years, he's finally started getting his due of people realizing how good he really is. Um, and you mentioned if 
if one of these years happens that he wins the MVP, it won't be the most shocking thing in the world. Like he's had some really great seasons. You look at 2016, 2017, where he hit, you know, 318 to 374 on base, uh, you know, 583 slugging, a 146 WRC plus. Then 2018, he had a 147 WRC plus as well. The batting average went down, but the on base went up. Um, and had 39 homers that year. Um, a guy who can, you know, still stole 27 bases last year as well. Um, plays, you know, pretty good defense over there at third. Maybe long later on gets shifted over to maybe second base or something. But, um, you know, he's a top level player, and uh, it, it's good that he finally got the money that he deserved in that because he wanted to stay in Cleveland. Um, there had been the rumors a lot that he was going to get traded the past couple years. Um, and he had always said that he wanted to stay there. seems like he took less money to stay there. He could have got way more money on the open market. Um, so good for him and good for, for the team. Class A is a guy who, if you have him for five at 20, that's probably a steal. Um, even though he's going through his ARB years, like when he gets to ARB, he'd probably be making more than that, you know, within two years anyways. Um, Tag on those club options too. I mean, that's... Yeah. So, and then Straw, like you mentioned, he's he's going to be a serviceable outfielder, and you know, at five million dollars a year, like that's nothing. If he ends up being a bench bat for you, a, a defensive replacement, speed guy that can start every once in a while, come in, you know, get on base, hit solidly, like that's, you know, that's a very good deal. Um, but like you mentioned, once he went to to Cleveland last year, you know, a two eighty five batting average of three sixty two on base, like. Sure, he doesn't slug, he doesn't hit homers, but those first two numbers with the speed he has, the way he can impact a game on the bases and play really good defense, like you would take that any day of the week. Um, so, and when he got there, he was a 108 WRC plus, so he's above league average. So, very good deals from Cleveland all around. Um, kind of helps make up for that they haven't signed anybody in free agency this past year, but. You know, we'll talk a little bit more about Cleveland here and uh, some of the other pieces that they've had show off this weekend. But uh, let's jump over. Uh, we'll be quick on this one, but the Houston Astros extend uh, closer Ryan Presley two years for $30 million. Yeah, Ryan Presley is one of the best relievers in baseball, and he never gets talked about as being one of those. I mean, the guy is incredible. Last year, he put up 2.4 wins above replacement as a reliever. Uh, 2.06 FIP, 2.25 ERA uh, in 64 innings. Just incredible. Doesn't walk guys. Strikes out a lot of guys. I mean, last four years, just he's been in one of the best relievers in the game. So uh, there's not too much else you can say about Ryan Presley. I mean, I know two years, 30, that, you know, $15 million is a little bit pricey of a reliever. But, I mean, for him, he'd probably get more than that on the open market. And you're locking him up you know, get buying out a couple free agent years. So, uh, Ryan Presley, man, he's, he's really, really, really solid. So, um, but he's, you know, he's the key to the Houston bullpen. Yeah, he is. He's a guy who will lock down the back for, uh, back end of that bullpen for you. Um, it's not really out much outside of market value. You look Kenley, uh, you know, just got 16 million for a back end closer. Um, I think Kimbrell's making 16 million as well. So like, it's not that, out of the price range for what a you know a, a pretty good closer is in today's game. So, yeah, and, and Presley's better than both of those guys too. I mean, all right, well, all right, well, I think I'd right now he is. He is now. 
you know, Maybe. three or four years ago, no, but he is now. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to the next one, though, and that's Key Brian Hayes signs an eight-year, $70 million extension with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, and this is another one. You know, the Pirates are a team that obviously has a lot's been talked about about their payroll and how they don't like to spend. And, um, you know, Brian Hayes is a guy who is homegrown, and they're getting in on him early on getting him locked up before he really breaks out to where you know he's going to get that. You know, he, he's going to be worth way, way, way more than that. And this is a guy who, if he's able to get healthy and stay healthy, he will be worth more than the eight-year, $70 million he signed. Um, this is a guy who, you know, in 2020, in his first 95 career plate appearances, put up 1.6 war. I mean, incredible. Um, and, you know, last year, played 96 games, dealt with some injuries. The injuries really zapped his power was the biggest thing with him. He's he's a guy who, as a prospect, was kind of graded out as being somebody who would have, you know, league average-ish power. But last year, you know, a 373 slugging percentage was really poor. But the plate discipline numbers looked pretty good in, in line with career averages, the strikeout is a little bit high compared to his minor league numbers, but you would expect as he gets seasoning in the big leagues for that to come down a little bit. This is a guy who it feels like he's been in the big leagues for a while now, but really he's only he hadn't even put up a full season yet. So, um, and, and he's been really really good in the amount of time he's been in the big leagues. So, he's already put up over three WAR, and that's in less than you know that's in like what a hundred hundred exactly one hundred twenty games. So, uh, you know, a guy who's capable of winning a gold gloves, multiple gold gloves defensively at third base. Um, you know, if he's able to stay healthy and then he will be a league average to above league average hitter who puts up gold glove defense, he'll be worth three or four wins above replacement every year. And this is an absolute steal of a contract if he's, if he's able to do that. So I uh, definitely like Brian Hayes and I think Pittsburgh got a great deal and he'll add to that core with, you know, when O'Neill Cruz comes up and some of the guys they've drafted over the last couple of years with those high draft picks they've had. Um, he's definitely one of them. And, um, you know, he, he's a, he's a great player. So. Yeah. My initial reaction was when he signed this deal or when it got broke, I literally put in our group chat, I was like, Brian, no, like, man, you could have got so much more money. Um, but, you know, it, it helps him get a little bit more financial stability now. Sacrifices a little bit later on, but guy commits to Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh commits to him, um, which is something they haven't done recently. I think this was their second biggest deal in franchise history, I, I believe, or is the biggest. I think it, it was, was their largest. And the last time, or the thing is, their largest and their the previous before that, their largest was Jason Kindle. Well, I, I didn't know if their, McCutcheon had signed a bigger deal with them or not. I don't think so. Um, I'll have to look into that. Maybe I'll bring that up maybe next week or something. But um, you mentioned his, you know, 2020 season where he had in 95, uh, you know, in the 24 games or whatever, he had the 1.6 war. If you look at 2021, he had 96 games and he put up a 1.5 war. So that just tells you how much the injuries zapped a lot of, like you said, his power, but also just his overall ability last year. Um, so if he is able to get healthy, if that power comes back, which we all expect it to, once he gets the seasoning, like he's going to be a, a very good player. Um, and, and that gold glove defense, you know, it's a really good deal for the pirates right now. It's a good deal for, for, uh, Cabrian. Eventually it might look like a, a bad deal, but 
that you can never fault the young guy for wanting to sign a long-term thing that will guarantee him more money than you know he can imagine right now. Yeah. Um, now they just need to do the same thing with Brian Reynolds. Like they need to commit to Brian Reynolds and then help de- develop your other guys. Um, you yeah, know, once you be, get, go ahead. I was gonna say it's gonna be a lot more difficult to sign Brian Reynolds to a good deal because he's a lot closer to free agency and he's more I, established. You just more have established to sign the big him. Level. Just uh-huh. you don't even have to sign him to like a good deal for you. Just sign him, commit long term to Brian Reynolds. Like say, yeah. look, Brian Reynolds, got Brian Hayes. We're gonna get O'Neill Cruz. We're gonna have Henry Davis coming up in a year or two. Like, hey, this will be our core moving forward. Instead, like you sign Cabrian Hayes, and if you trade Brian Reynolds, what does that really do for you? It just pushes the can farther down the road. Um, so, you know, it, it, I, I'm happy that Cabrian got paid. I think he could have got more, but I want to see Pittsburgh do more of this, like commit, start committing more to it, to that core. Um, and, and build the rest of the way up. Because if you just sign Cabrian and then you don't do anything else around him, like it's just going to be worthless. So hopefully they uh, they commit to that long term. But uh, we'll move on to the next one, and that's J.P. Crawford signing a four-year, $46 million extension with the Seattle Mariners. Yeah, so uh, J.P. Crawford's a guy who is – he's very, very uh, – he's got, he's got some good stuff. He's a short, good shortstop defensively. Um, put up um, about eight point. Um, he put up about uh, an eight point one defensive value last year, um, and he put up uh, three wins above replacement last year. Really solid player. Um, plate discipline numbers have been his big thing. He's been a great, great defensive player, uh, and, and he's also been able to get on base. Those are that's a good combination. Doesn't hit the ball especially hard. Doesn't slug. You know he's never hit more than ten home, more than nine home runs in a season. Never been in double digits. But you know gets on base. Not a super fast guy. But I mean you can always throw a guy like this at the bottom of your order. Get on base. Move. Keep the line moving. He was actually an above average hitter last year at a 103 WRC plus. So um, you look at him as a guy who, and, and maybe maybe as he continues to you know to work at it, he maybe he develops a little bit more power. Uh, you know, they, as a prospect, he was graded as having, uh, you know, a 50 raw power. So maybe he works on that and gets a little bit better in that facet. But this is a guy who, you know, you're signing him to a, a deal of, you know, four years, 46 million, a little over 10 million a year. Not too bad there. Um, you know, solid shortstop. And if you can keep putting up, you know, two to three war every year, then, you know, it's a good deal. So, yeah, it's a it's a pretty good deal for both sides there. Um, and I don't even think that it, you know, he plays great defense, but there all is some concerns about maybe his long-term fit at shortstop. So this deal also still allows you to shift him over to second base eventually if you want to, if you find a better long-term fit into the shortstop. Like if you go into the market this year and you're in on Correa or you're in on a Trey Turner, um, you know, this deal's not going to stop it. But, you know, Crawford is still a really good player, um, a guy who has really found himself the past couple years in Seattle, um, you know, really in, in – the, the 2020 seasons when you started seeing the first flashes of it got on base a little bit more um, and the plate discipline numbers, the strikeout rate went really, you know, way down from 21% down to about 17. Um, he dropped that to 16, six last year, had a better average on base stayed about the same. And with the defense, you know, he plays, it, it's going to be a, a really good deal overall. So good for JP Crawford um, and good for Seattle, you know, committing to a guy that you can, you can, or has been a, a 
piece that you've built with for the past couple of years. But let's go on to the next one we had, and that's Garrett Whitlock uh, signing a four-year, eighteen and uh, seven or eighteen point seven five million dollar extension with Boston. Yeah, this one was interesting. Garrett Whitlock is uh, this is going to be an arm avoidance contract. I don't think it bought out a free agent year actually. Um, so, but he he's a good good pitcher. Um, you know, in the minor leagues, he was pretty solid. Uh, you know, got traded actually from New York to Boston, which is interesting. In 2021 with Boston, um, you know, put up a great season. Uh, nine or almost ten strikeouts per nine, just two walks per nine. Uh, gets the ball on the ground a lot. That led to a 196 ERA over 73 innings uh, as a reliever. I think a lot of Boston people think he might be able to be a starter uh, if they need him to. So that, that's another interesting thing. Some of the projection systems haven't projected for over 100 innings. So uh, definitely a guy who could go multiple innings if you need him to. So a lot of value in that. Uh, you know, this is a not a real risky deal. I mean, and you're really just buying out our beers, but. Um, you know, pretty solid guy here to, to get for, for Boston. So to, to lock up for, you know, the next four years, he'll be a solid piece in that bullpen. It's like a swing man. So. Yeah. And just to your point, he was almost a starter this year. Like they, he was in the battle for that fifth yeah. rotation spot and they ended up get or fourth and fifth. And they ended up going with Henry Houck and a rich Hill um, to begin with. But just today he pitched uh, what four innings, uh, I believe against Detroit didn't allow a run two strikeouts. So he's a guy who I wouldn't be surprised to be in the rotation, you know, by the, the back half of the year, even um, and going forward, he's definitely a guy who can be either. He can be one of those late inning high leverage guys, or he could be, you know, a back end, middle to back end of the rotation guy for you. So, uh, you know, like you said, he did, uh, it did do RB years. There is a couple club options for 2027 and 2028. Um, so I, I think that might get about into a, a year I think about or a, two. I think about a one year free agency. Out yeah. That. I think it's either one or two years with right. that, but, um, yeah, because he's arbitration eligible in 24, so three years. So, yeah, they bought an extra year with the 2028 option. So, um, you know, really solid deal. It's it's not too big money, and if he ends up being in a rotation to the middle and the back half and then keep the production he has had, then it's going to look like a, a steal. But let's go to an extension that wasn't signed, and that was Aaron Judge rejecting a seven-year, $213.5 million extension from the Yankees um, and has said that there will not be extension talks during the year um, and that he will be a free agent at the end of the season. Yeah, this is a big deal. Aaron judge last year, I think was, I think it was the most impressive season of his career in the way that he cut his strikeout rate a lot. I mean, down from, you know, he'd been around 30% his entire career. He cut it down to 25% while keeping a lot walk rate and keeping the power going. And the biggest deal staying healthy, uh, this is a guy who in 2017 pitched, played in 155 games. That was his big breakout year where he hit 52 home runs, put up eight war. And since then, the, his maximum amount of games he's played was 112 until last year. And last year, put up five wins above replacement, plays a really good defense in right field. Um, and it just hits the – I mean, obviously, this guy, his size just absolutely knocks the cover off, off the baseball. And – you know, he's a guy who is going to be a stalwart for any team for a long time if he can stay healthy, which has been his issue. That's, I think, where the, the question marks about what can you sign him to come in. He wants to prove this season that he can stay healthy again, put up another season like last year or maybe even better than last year. Um, 
And if he does that, then you're looking at a guy who has put back-to-back healthy seasons together. You're looking at a guy who wants something in the range of what Mookie Betts got as a top right fielder a couple years ago. Then you kind of look at the Yankees' standpoint. They don't want to give him that because this is a guy who's been injured for like three years in a row. Last year he didn't play. He did miss 14 games last year too. Still, even though he did put up you know close to a full season, Um, you know he's a guy who you you do worry about his health. And this year, if he's able to stay healthy, then he's going to get a huge deal in the offseason. I think that's what he's waiting to see. He's still going to get a big contract regardless whether he's healthy or not this year. But uh, I think that's probably where the hang-up was. And, uh, you know, uh, Aaron Judge will be probably the top piece on the market depending on what Correa does, uh, maybe depending on Trey Turner, how he does this year. But, I mean, Judge will be right up there along with him. So, um, you know, big time, big time back, going to hit the market this offseason. And, and that's, you know, big deal and exciting for a lot of teams i'm sure yeah it's exciting for a lot of teams um you know i think that this was more of a like hey the yankees will you take a hometown discount to say you know you've said you wanted to be a yankee the entire career and you don't want to play anywhere else will you take a discount to do that and um you know i just don't think he was willing to like he should be right around the range of what anthony rendon got which was what seven for two forty five, um, you know, going into eight, his age thirty season, and that's what Judge is gonna be going to the market at is his age thirty season. Thirty one. Uh, what does he turn? He's thirty right now. He's twenty nine. He turns thirty next month. Yeah. So technically, but it's still gonna be a right around that. Like I, I think a seven year two hundred and forty five when they were offering seven at two thirteen, like. It's it's a little bit short, and I can understand why. You know, they wanted to play it. Well, here's the eighth year. Well, you're just eighth year was just including this season, so it was basically seven more years on the end of it. And you know, I, I think that he just was wanted it. What was a fair market value for him to stay there? Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out going into the you know into the off season, into free agency this next year. We'll talk a lot about it at that at that point, but it would go a long way if he's able to stay healthy and have, you know, even a season like he had last year. Um, Cause if he does that, I believe he will easily hit the Rendon number and, and even over that. So it'll be uh, interesting to watch, but uh, that's basically wrap up the extension parts. Um, the next thing we're going to go to is another youngster getting his call up to the big leagues. And that's Nick Lodolo uh, from the Cincinnati Reds is getting called up and actually will have his major league debut tomorrow. Yeah, Nick Lodolo's an interesting prospect. Uh, he's kind of a sinker-slider type of guy. Um, you know, the slider is really, really good. But he also commands the baseball really well, uh, which is nice. Uh, last year, 2021, put up 10 starts in AA, uh, 44 innings, 13.9 strikeouts per nine, 1.84 walks per nine. Uh, you know, just a guy who doesn't walk guys – able to get those strikeouts in the minor leagues. We'll see if that continues at the big league level. Doesn't throw especially hard, but, um, you know, I think he'll be a solid piece. He's pretty well-rounded, got a pretty high floor. I think he'll be a solid piece in the Cincinnati rotation going forward. Um, They've had some, you know, they pair along with Hunter Green, who obviously is a rookie this year, and then also Tyler Molly and Luis Castillo still there. Pretty solid rotation there with those four, if if Green and, and Lodolo, 
uh, are able to, uh, you know, be really good at the big league level. In fact, it's interesting, you know, Lodolo is kind of the opposite of, of Hunter Green. Hunter Green's this guy with wild stuff, loses his command a little bit at times. You know, he throws 101 miles an hour. And then Lodolo is this guy who is really pinpoint, probably got a high floor, gets the ball on the ground a lot, does get the strikeouts in the minor leagues. But, of course, you know, you're looking at a really small sample size with him in the minor leagues. So uh, projection systems seem to like him. I think it's a pretty good call up for the for the uh, for the Reds. Get him a cup of coffee and see what he looks like at the big league level. Yeah, it's about time as well. Like if you're calling Hunter Green up and you're kind of going to this phase where you're wanting to see what you have for the future, um, you know, bringing Lodolo at age 24 up, he's going to be. You're going to have to call him up this year, basically, anyways, because he's Rule Five eligible um, this off season. So you're going to see what what he has and and moving forward. So. Really good by uh, by the Reds to call up Lodolo, and we'll see what he has tomorrow um, in his first start. But we'll jump over to another starting pitcher, and this one's with Lucas Giolito, who uh, had to leave his start, I think, after four innings with an abdominal strain, and is now announced that he'll miss to uh, at least his next two starts. Um, then, as well, the White Sox have placed AJ Pollock on the IL with a hamstring strain. Yeah, it's a pretty big deal for. Uh... For the White Sox, Giolito, obviously their ace. Um, you know, he, you never want to see him get injured, even if it's a pretty minor deal. Um, you know, he looked pretty good in his first start. Not, not great. Did walk a couple guys in his four innings, but um, you know, wasn't wasn't bad. Did give up a run. Only pitched four innings, like I said. But when you're, you know, it, it, the thing that really hurts with this is that. You know, we'll talk about in a little bit how the pitching is working right now in the big leagues. All these guys are still kind of ramping up because of the short spring training. And it really stinks for Giolito to have ramped up a little bit, gotten his in gotten his pitch counts going, gotten you know, gotten going a little bit, and now he has kind of reset. And I, I'm assuming that'll probably set him back to where he'll have to re gain his you know get, regain his arm again stretch get stretched back out and so this might be a little bit lengthier than a typical abdominal strain that would maybe happen mid-season in a normal year but um you know that, that hurts aj pollock obviously got traded there just a couple weeks ago um you know he had been um you know he had been starting for them in the outfield i've been off to a pretty good start uh you know in in he only played two games, but I mean, he hit a home run or uh, he, he didn't hit a home run, but he's hit 571 in his first two games. So, uh, it's four, four out of four hits and, um, you know, in seven plate appearances. So, um, you know, he had, he had been looking pretty good at the start of the season and, uh, you know, losing him to a hamstring strain, you know, you worry about his health. He hasn't ever stayed healthy. So, uh, ever since 2015 with the, with the diamondbacks, this last season, he played more than 117 games. So, uh, we'll see what happens with uh, with AJ Pollock going forward, but um, I'm not sure what the timeline on his injury is. So, yeah, it didn't seem like it was going to be too long from from his posts, at least. I say, um, now, I say in ten to eleven days is possible. So on the injured list, so it's not yeah, bad. Um, the hamstring something that he's dealt with the past couple years. Um, with him being in LA, it's been something they they've managed. Um, sometimes he's even played through a slight strain anyways um so we'll see how how he moves forward with that but the hamstring is something that has been reoccurring the past couple years uh does does really suck for giolito especially and the white Sox. after losing lance lynn he went down for knee surgery um as well which we mentioned a couple episodes ago uh so also losing giolito at the top of that rotation you know that hurts it's your one and two guys you lost rendon or carlos rodon in the offseason so 
uh, there has been some some slight rumors that they were in the market for a Frankie Montas trade and that that might be happening, but nothing as concrete has come out. So that's something we'll keep an eye on. But, um, you know, hopefully Gilito can get back uh, pretty soon because he's he's pretty fun to watch. But um, another starter that hit the IL was Taiwan Walker uh, went to the IL with shoulder bursitis. Yeah, I mean, you don't like seeing injury um, this early in the season. Obviously, Tywin Walker, you know, he only pitched two innings in his first outing. They pulled him out because of the injury. Um, and it sounds like he's not going to miss a super long amount of time. But, you know, those shoulder injuries can be a little tricky for pitchers. They're saying they think he'll probably need a rehab start before he comes up. So I'd assume it'd probably be they probably miss him one time in the rotation. Then he'll get a rehab start. And then so I'm assuming it'll probably be about two weeks um, before he's could potentially return to the Mets. Of course, it's a back end of the rotation guy. I don't think it's the biggest deal for the Mets if he misses a start, but um, you know, they already do have an injury to, to, uh, to DeGrom and, you know, Scherzer has dealt with some nagging stuff right before the season started. So, you know, just kind of bunch of, bunch of issues so far, um, you know, for them. So we'll see what happens. Um, obviously, um, you know, you, Hopefully for the Mets, he'll come back pretty soon. So, yeah, and another one which we didn't have marked down tonight, but I just remembered it was um, Blake Snell got scratched like five minutes before he was supposed to, you know, pitch for uh, the Padres against the Diamondbacks this weekend with left adductor tightness. It's actually what ended his season last year. Um, initial plans were him for him to go on the IL, but he was going to throw again today, um, and not quite sure that he's going to go on the IL now. Um, just might be pushed back a couple more days. So that'll be something that we'll, uh, we'll have to get more information on going into next week's episode. But, uh, so for the back half of this episode or, or the back little portion of it, uh, we kind of just wanted to go over the overall thoughts on the weekend, um, what we had, and then mention some of those younger players that or uh, or players, you know, debuts with new teams or whatever that we felt, you know, were, were good stories for the, uh, for the first weekend. Uh, and I know our first one we wanted to start with was uh, the se- debut of Seiya Suzuki with the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, so um, it, it was interesting. Um, you know, Seiya Suzuki has been really good so far for the Cubs. Um, you know, he actually hit two home runs today, um, which was pretty crazy. Um, he He's definitely a guy, he looks a lot better than, than he did in spring training. Still, Still is striking out a lot. Uh, which is a little bit worrisome, but the you know the power has been there so far. He's taken some good, taken some tough pitches. He's walked a pretty good bit, which is good. Um, you know, and it's it'll be interesting to see how you know as the season continues, how he um, you know if he's able to continue. I mean, he's obviously not going to continue hitting what four seventeen with a five twenty nine on base, but um, if he's able to put up a pretty good stat line and be that middle of the order bat that the the Cubs were hoping they signed from japan so uh but a fantastic start for him a guy who really did not look good in spring training uh comes out in the regular season and looked really really good in his first you know four or five games in the big leagues so really really solid uh start for him and uh you know we'll see if he can continue it yeah it's been really fun to watch him um he's he's one of the reasons him and, and nick madrigal for selfish reasons for fantasy purposes but um They've been real reasons why I've tried to turn on the Cubs game um, and watch them over the weekend and stuff. And Suzuki's at bats were really good. Even the at bats where he was striking out, I think outside of 
uh, one of them, it was like a three, two count and it was just, he, he just got fooled on the pitch, um, which can easily happen, especially with, he was facing the, you know, the Brewers rotation of Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta, who we know are, uh, are very known for striking lots of people out. But, um, the, you know, the overall weekend is good, good plate appearances, um, deep at bats. The eye was, was really, really good. He wasn't taking, you know, swinging at pitches way out of the zone, um, which is really good to see. It's, it's something from an import bat that, like you said, struggled in spring training a little bit. It, it's really good to see that he wasn't just fooled by the velocity and just trying to swing because he felt he had to. So that's uh, really been really good to see. Um, going on to another outfielder um, that we've basically had, uh, Stephen Kwan has been basically Mike Trout reincarnated. Yeah, Stephen Kwan is a guy that a lot of people had kind of been picking him as a potential uh, rookie of the year candidate, a dark horse, even with all the talent coming up in the American League. Um, you know, he won, made his spot on the big league club, and, you know, his calling card has been in the minor leagues a guy that never strikes out and he doesn't have a lot of power. You know, his career high in home runs is seven in the minor leagues. Or last, well, last year he hit 12 in but, but across two levels so uh you know maybe not quite nick magical level low power but uh sprays the ball around and can play some defense in the outfield um and you know has some speed uh you know and a solid solid all-around looking player and he has started off extremely hot at the plate. he still has not struck out in his first 24 plate appearances um you know one of the special things about him is that he walks a lot for a guy who doesn't strike out, you know, a lot of these guys who never strike out, they're not, they're not striking out because they're swinging early in the count and making weak contact a lot. And Quan seems like a guy who is just got a really good eye, good hand eye coordination, doesn't strike out a lot. So, um, you know, he's already put up 0.7 war, put up a 700 batting average, almost 667 uh, with 750 on base, 933 slugging. Um, a 338 WRC plus of the season so far. Um, obviously those numbers aren't going to continue like that, but, uh, definitely a guy who looks like he's going to be a really solid piece for, for Cleveland. And how about their outfield in Cleveland? I mean, you talk about Miles Straw and, and Stephen Kwan, they actually have some, finally have some guys out there who aren't, you know, really, really a problem. Um, uh, so that's, that's pretty, uh, you know, that's pretty cool. So, um, you know, it's interesting how that that worked, but uh, definitely, um, you know, definitely Cleveland is a, a you know, or Stephen Kwan's a guy to, to look out for going forward. Um, has had the best debut of any rookie so far, and that's pretty wild. So, yeah, uh, you mentioned their outfield. They're also having Ahmed Rosario play some left field now, yeah. so that's been pretty interesting to watch. But I'll take your uh, Stephen Kwan not striking out so far this season, and I'll even raise it a little bit more because um, I don't know I. I Doubt you probably know this because I just heard about it today and I had to fact check it myself. Through four games, Stephen Kwan has not swung and missed. Wow. Every time every time he swung, no, he did not swing and miss today, even. The one that he did swing and they thought he missed was actually it it was a foul tip. It grazed it. Um and then there was a called strike, I think, on the second second pitch of it. But yeah, through four games, he hasn't swung and missed so far which is insane to me at least yeah so uh yeah not striking out but not even swinging missing through four games so little Stephen Kwan fact that uh, I thought was pretty interesting but uh 
you know, we'll, we'll kind of keep with, with Quan and who they were playing. They were playing the Kansas City Royals this weekend. And Bobby Witt um, talk about having a good debut in his first game. Hits an RBI double late in the game to bring in the go-ahead run. Um, and then I think it was on Saturday. Had like an amazing diving stop at third. Threw it home when the runner was coming from third to nail him. Um, stop that run from scoring. And that would have been, I think, the game-tying run. Um, and basically, I think an out later, the Royals go on to win the game. So he's had an impact on the offensive side with an RBI double and a big defensive play at third base to uh, to help seal a win as well. Yeah, Bobby Witt's a guy who, you know, obviously talked about as possibly the top prospect in, my, in, the, in the minors over the last couple of years. Uh, I think MLB Pipeline had him number one. Um, he's very, very good. Um, he hasn't really had a great debut so far you know, over the weekend at the plate, but man, that play he made was insane. And uh, you could just see the athletic talent from that, the creativity, the fielding ability. Um, it, it, you know, that was just a, that was just an insane play. But Bobby Witt has struggled at the plate so far. Um, you know, striking out a pretty good bit. He has been a little bit unlucky. 154 Babbitt, it's pretty low, but uh, and it's, of course it's only what four games, so it's not that big of a deal. But obviously, but um, but yeah, I mean, it's been a uh, you know been a been a little bit of a rocky start for a lot of these guys. We'll talk about a couple more in a minute, but uh, Bobby Witt with the flashy plays uh, got a lot of attention this weekend, and that was pretty cool. Yeah, so another really hyped prospect that a lot of people were looking forward to as well um, was Hunter Green. He made his debut this weekend against Atlanta, um, went five innings, um, gave up three earned runs, two of those being homers, um, two walks, but seven strikeouts. Yeah, Hunter Green did exactly. He was exactly the guy we thought we were getting out of the minor leagues. Um, guy who his stuff is dazzling, has that you know really really good velocity on fastball, and the slider is just an unbelievable, unbelievably good pitch. Uh, does I think he is working on a changeup a little bit, but um, you know the big problem with him is that the two problems he's had were command being consistent with it. You know, he had a couple walks in that five innings and then the fastball flattening out a little bit. And when the fastball flattened out, Matt Olson and Travis Darno greeted him. So, um, you know, he's a guy that he, this is probably what he's going to be this year. He's probably going to be a little bit inefficient. He's probably going to walk a few guys. He's going to give up some home runs because that fastball shape isn't perfect. But at the same time, his stuff is so good. He's going to strike a lot of guys out and, that's he's going to be a solid mid rotation arm this year. I think the thing that excites you about Hunter Green is the future. You know he's going to continue to work on that command. I think I'm, I'm sure that they will work with him on on that fastball, getting you know getting the shape better on it, where he can, you know maybe give up a few less home runs, get get a little less hard contact. Because for a guy who throws so hard, he does get squared up a little bit. But uh, you know he's going to strike out a lot of guys. He's going to walk a decent amount of guys. Not a ton, not a ton. It's not one of these you know minor leaguers that comes up and just cannot find the zone. Uh, but he's going to dazzle. He's going to have some highlight pitches. I'm sure pitching Ninja will show him an awful lot. And um, he's going to, uh, you know, the biggest thing too, you know, hopefully he stays healthy. You know, he's had some issues with injuries until up until last year. And you got to remember, he's only put up a, about a hundred innings above a ball in his, in his minor league career. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens with him. And hopefully, um, you know, uh, Hunter Green will, you know, continue to work on his craft and improve and, and become that ace that, you know, everyone expected him to be when he was drafted. So, yeah, he, you know, from the little bit I watched the, the 
the stuff was amazing. And I think that's just what everyone knows about Hunter Green. Um, but like you said, it, it is going to be interesting to see how he's able to develop throughout the year and, and you know, how many innings they let him get to um, because he hasn't been able to um, pitch that many innings in full seasons. So it's going to be interesting to, to see that. But, um, you know, another rookie starting pitcher actually pitched today that had a, a pretty good game was Matt Brash. Yeah, Matt Brash is a guy that um, he's, a, he's an interesting prospect. Um, you know, it was cool to see him make their, um, you know, make their um, rotation out of the spring. Um, you know, a guy who gets a lot of strikeouts, has a good fastball, wipeout slider, great curveball, struggles with the command a little bit. Um, but, you know, he's a guy that you, know, you look out for Seattle. He's never pitched above double A. He's only pitched in um, – he really hasn't pitched all that much in the minor leagues in general, um, you know, just barely over a hundred innings in the minor leagues. So, um, you know, there's not a huge amount of track record to go off of from him, but obviously the Mariners felt good about, about calling him up and bringing him in out of, out of spring training and, uh, you know, starting for them right off the bat. And, uh, you know, today, uh, you know, he was, he was, he, you know, he's pretty good. Um, had a, had a, had a solid, Solid debut, five and a third innings, uh, six strikeouts, one walk, two earned runs. Nothing you can complain about there. Uh, Seattle didn't exactly help him out with the bats, but, you know, solid debut for him. If he can put up that line, you know, every, every game this year, they would be very, very happy with that. So, Yeah, and he actually even, I think it was right in that, the six innings, where he gave up that uh, solo home run to Luis Robert. Um, at the time to to put them ahead, so that's he ended up getting the loss from that one. But throughout you know throughout the game, he looked really good. Some of those knuckle curves, the movement on him was disgusting. His changeup looked nasty, just dropping like six eight inches you know vertically or or downward from his fastball. Like it, it just it was the stuff was pretty damn good. It was better than I had thought, you know, watching him from spring training, like today, this stuff really popped off the screen. So it'll be interesting to see um, what he's able to do going forward. If, if he's able to keep the command and, and how major leaguers react to the stuff. Cause now that they've seen it in like in a big league ballpark, teams have seen him, you know, before they'll have a scouting report. So um, we'll be fun to watch, but a couple of the, the high level rookies that have struggled so far, are Spencer Torkelson and Julio Rodriguez. Yeah, both these guys seem like they're trying still adjusting to the uh, they're still adjusting to big league pitching. Um, Julio Rodriguez and Torkelson both have, have struck out a ton, and you know to start the season. Um, you know, both of these guys are, 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 are Torkelson's a guy who a lot of people were thinking was ready for the big leagues when he was drafted, but losing that year from COVID really didn't help in 2020. So. Um, you know, he put up fantastic numbers in the minor leagues and we'll see what he ends up doing at the big league level. Did a little bit better today. You know, had his first hit was a double scored a run. He'll get going. Julio Rodriguez, same kind of deal. Um, you know, a lot of people expecting him to come out. He looked great in spring training, come out just on fire. And, you know, it's rare. It's rare that these guys, you know, what Juan Soto, did as a rookie what Ronald Acuna Jr. did as a rookie what Cody Bellinger did as a rookie what Aaron Judge did as a rookie it's really rare and you see you know it's it's it, there's a reason that those were considered special and it happened so often so quickly that you don't really think that you're, you're kind of expecting it to happen every time 
and uh, with one of these prospects. But it takes an adjustment period for a lot of guys, and it looks like Julio Rodriguez and Torkelson both, and Bobby Witt, you know, all three of those guys are going to need that adjustment period to a certain level. Um, and, you know, the strikeouts have been piling up for all three of them, and they just need to adjust to that big league pitching. They know how to get guys out at the big league level. So, Yeah, they're going to need time. Um, it, it's easy to see that you know, a lot of these prospects will come in and struggle. Um, usually when guys succeed right away, you're saying that they've just are on the lucky side of it and that, you know, you, you get on a hot streak and you can see the ball pretty well. And then maybe you just came out of spring training with that. Um, but it's not abnormal to see these young guys struggle. Um, now it'll be interesting to see how long they struggle for and what adjustments they're able to make and how that affects them you know, psychologically, that's the thing. A lot of these players are players who down in the minors haven't struggled before. And even in college, haven't struggled high school, haven't struggled. So getting to the major leagues and struggling up there can be very humbling. And that's, I think the hard part for a lot of these rookies you hear them talk about is getting over that, that mental hurdle of like, Hey, I'm trying to figure it out here. Um, you know, I'm going to, there's going to be times where I'm not very good and how can I adjust to make myself better for that scenario? Um, you know, if, if there's three guys that you would say looking through this and say, who can figure it out? It's going to be Bobby Witt, Spencer Torkelson and Julio Rodriguez, like the talents there, they just got to get used to major league pitching. You know, it, it's definitely a step like you're facing top notch guys now. So, um, you know, no doubt in my mind that they'll figure it out, but you know, just to, to wrap up the show, last little bit here, what were your overall thoughts on the weekend of baseball? Um, you know, from from opening day through the weekend, what we've seen so far, what what are your thoughts? Well, um, I, I mean, my biggest takeaway I've had is the starting pitching has been an issue for just about everybody. Um, you know, we had the short spring training, which really hasn't helped these guys get ramped up a lot of guys getting pulled early you know under 80 pitches haven't been able to go deep into into games yet uh through, through spring training they're still ramping up uh, a lot of guys on strict pitch counts um you know that that kind of sucks um you know and, and then you got some guys who haven't reined it in yet i mean brandon woodruff corbin burns both of those guys looked really 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 rough in um you know in um in, in their first couple games in chicago um, with, with the Brewers, and then you look at a guy like uh, Ian Anderson looked really poor. Uh, Julio Arias did not have a good game uh, in his first start. And, I mean, the list goes on. There's a bunch of guys, and, and a lot of it's been walks and control issues. Sandy Alcantara uh, walked five guys in his first start. He's a guy who is known for not walking many guys. I mean, it's something that's probably not going to continue very long. Um, but we'll see what happens. I'm um, definitely, uh, definitely hoping to see um, – you know, hoping to see these guys kind of settle down as we get into the season. And, uh, but that's been a big takeaway. Uh, you know, we've also had some other things too. We had, uh, you know, uh, a few cool debuts this weekend for, for new teams. Yeah. So one of them was with the San Diego Padres and Sean Manaya, um, which I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that one in a second, but it, I want to talk about the opening day they had as well. You um, Darvish had a no hitter through six innings, um, gets pulled in the seventh, um, with the lead, and the Padres lose it like the first batter after he's pulled, end up losing the game on a walk-off home run by Seth Beer on National Beer Day, so that was pretty cool, um, with his family in the stands, which made it even 
even cooler. Um, and then the next day, the Padres come back, and Sean Manaya makes his debut with the Padres, and they go through seven no-hit innings. And then as soon as he gets pulled, they give it up right, <laughs> right again. They do end up winning that game as well, but it was uh, it was pretty interesting and, and kind of cool to see the you know back to back you know sixth and seven innings you know with no hitters going as you know we've talked you know we just talked about how starters are getting pulled earlier and these guys were able to take these you know be efficient and take these no hitters later on although it is the Diamondbacks so I mean there's you know it's not not like you're going through the uh, through the Dodgers or the Braves lineups but you uh you know, it was still pretty impressive um, as, a, as a debut, especially for Sean Manaya. Yeah, and, you know, a couple guys have had pretty good starts at the bats with their new teams as well. You look at uh, you look at uh, Matt Olson, who's been the second most valuable player in baseball so far, has absolutely hit the cover off the ball, hit his first home run yesterday uh, or, or Sunday with the Braves, um, and his plate discipline's been really, really, really good. Um, back, you know, 600 on base to start the season. Uh, really solid. Um, Chris Bryant's had a pretty good debut. He's hitting with the Rockies. He's hitting over 350 so far on the season. Um, you know, there's been you know a lot of these guys that give giving good first impressions with their new teams. So uh, that's been something cool to see. And then uh, the one other thing I wanted to mention was the the drama with Alec Bohm and Philly uh, yesterday. Uh, it was a really weird situation. Alec Bohm, actually, we, we, we've talked about a lot of Philly's defense, and Bohm is he just can't play third right now. I mean, I don't, I just, I don't think he ever will be able to. It's been a couple years in the big leagues for him now. He didn't, he came in not being able to play third very well. He hadn't really improved much. Made three throwing errors yesterday and was caught on camera mouthing that he hated Philly. So uh, there was a little bit of drama with that. People asking him in the post game about it. He kind of owned up to it, said, yeah, I said it. I didn't really mean it. I was frustrated. Obviously, Phillies fans can be really tough. And I think this does kind of go on to show how, you know, new guys on new teams uh, or guys in those types of markets can wear on some players. I mean, you look at guys that have gotten out of places like that, like Gary Sanchez, maybe bounces back. That might be the way New York's real similar to Philly with the way their fans are. And, you know, getting out of there could really help a guy like Sanchez. Alec Bohm, if he got traded, could, could be helped out somewhere else. So uh, it takes a different type of person uh, in those types of uh, markets. But um, I thought that was really interesting looking. And that, the Phillies actually end up did come back and win that game last night, which was the Mets kind of collapsed in that one. Uh, but uh, definitely some interesting stuff and some interesting talk from that, uh, that drama in Philly a little bit. Yeah, it's one of the unfortunate, you know, scenarios of where you have. Um, and he, like you said, he admitted he said it, but then he also said, like, I understand where they're coming from. Like, this is Philly, Philly sports. Like, better is demanded, and I'm not good. Like, you know, he, he it was very candid and honest, which is a lot of things you don't usually hear um, from a lot of players, especially a, a younger player like Bohm is. So it was it was refreshing to hear. I'm, I'm going to be really, really fascinated with how that works out through the season. Um, because like we've mentioned that Philly defense is going to be really bad and they, the fans understand, um, you know, what they need to win. So it's going to be, it's going to be something to watch. Um, you know, you were talking about the debuts. A couple other people I wanted to mention was Mark Canna has been off to a really good start as well. 571, a 647 on base. Um, so far with the, the Mets, no homers, but just overall good, 
good play. Uh, and then another one, Jeremy Pena um, was basically has big shoes to fill as the replacement for Carlos Correa at shortstop for the Astros. Very good prospect. Um, has batted 375 with a 412 on base so far. The plate discipline numbers, you know, although it is four games still, they don't look all that great. 30 percent strikeout rate almost only six percent walk rate but um, he's found a way to get the job done um, hit a homer couple runs so we'll be uh we'll be pretty interesting to see Pena going through the rest of the season now he's able to fill those shoes of Correa because he's going to be um, compared to him a lot because they didn't re-sign Correa or yeah they didn't re-sign Correa and um, you know they, they basically just said Pena it's your job so couple other guys that, that i wanted to mention with uh with good debuts uh, so far but like you said the the overall you know thoughts on on baseball the, the pitchers do seem to be struggling um with you know obviously the short not being uh the shorter ramp up not being able to extend out but it, it also in in certain instances so far it does seem like that the players are still like behind if that makes any sense like I've seen a lot of players so far get, get caught by velocity um, and and just look fooled at the plate. Um, you know, we've had a couple big breakout games, but we've not had any of the big outbursts throughout the league. And we really see that the the scoring totals are down a lot more than what are is you know what's been expected the past you know couple full seasons. Twenty twenty, it it, it kind of is reminding me of the start of twenty twenty um, of this twenty twenty season at least where where. Pitchers are struggling, but hitters are also behind. So which one's going to catch up first? Um, you know, I think the the way the pitchers have been able to is because they're just throwing so many darts at the wall back to back to back to back that, you know, they're not relying on, on everything. So when these pitchers start getting, you know, past the 60, 70 pitch mark, when pitchers usually start struggling and they're not going to the bullpen as much, you know, how's that going to affect it moving forward? But it's been really fun just to have the game back. Um, there's been some some great performances. There's been uh, you know already a benches clearing thing with Milwaukee and and the Cubs and um, also in uh, Philadelphia or not Philadelphia in uh, Washington with the Mets. A um, couple of Mets got hit in the face. Pete Alonso got hit in the face, and then um, Francisco Lindor was squaring to bunt and got hit in the uh, that new chin pad. Uh, or the C pad, whatever they're calling it now, it got hit there. And then Buck Showalter just like basically started going out to the mound at Steve Ciszek. So it's been a pretty wild opening weekend. Um, I'm exciting. It gives us a lot to talk about. Uh, and I can't wait moving forward. I feel like this is going to be a really good season and, and stories are going to be um, very, uh, very fruitful and, and plenty. Absolutely. I'm excited to see what, uh, what everything looks like here soon um, one other note albert pujols hit his first home run back in in uh st louis today so that was pretty cool pretty cool moment for him but uh, but we'll see what happens um definitely exciting time of year and uh you know these pitchers and it'll get ramped up here in the next week or two be able to go full games or you know full workloads hitters will start getting their timing down a little bit better uh you know it is, has been a slow start for for a lot of guys but we'll we'll see what they'll, they'll get going soon and uh we'll see what happens there but um but yeah it's, i'm ex super excited to see what happens you know next week we'll be able to do our players of the week too that's what we usually close with but this week uh obviously with three or four games being played we'll we'll just wait till next week for that 
Yeah, uh, Albert Pujols needs 20 more homers this season um, after tonight's, so he can hit the uh, the 700 mark. But yep. I'll leave it on that. But thank you guys for tuning into this episode of the Batflip Podcast, and we'll catch you guys next week. Mm-hmm.